0: Welcome to Squawk. My name is Luke. I'll be your host today and I am joined as usual by my newly designated but not newly operating co-host Dr. Brian Nixon and we're going to do our final episode of the season.
1: Yes, and we we want to make sure we wish all of our listeners, particularly those who are listening from Australia which we found, we have some from Great Britain, we have some from mainland Europe. We want to wish all of you, including those here in the States, Merry Christmas. Absolutely. It's beautiful that we could say that because so many parts of the world where Christianity is restricted or it's not the fashionable thing to say Merry Christmas, we say it wholeheartedly.
0: It's a great point. And just like we did with our Thanksgiving special, we have something in mind for our Christmas special, even though we're a couple weeks early. It's our concluding episode, and we thought it best to make an address to something that's so important to all of us. So we'll be talking about a couple of items that are present in the culture at Christmas, no pun intended. And so we're going to go ahead and get started there. We're going to talk some about the Christmas tradition and what the Bible has to say about it, but we're also going to talk about saint nick yes some of the things that have been said about him
1: yes and probably hopefully clarify maybe a couple of uh, misunderstandings when it comes to the christmas story in relationship to the bible And, and so i think as is our practice luke we should just start there because the bible is where we always try to direct our listeners to and Let's just be upfront yeah. and say that we do not know when Jesus was born. Um, Pastor Skip recently did a wonderful, or he's in the middle of doing a wonderful season. We encourage our listeners to check out, um, his series where he kind of unpacks some of the, the misunderstandings regarding Christmas and and the timing of it
0: completely understood and the name of that you can find on the Calvary Church website and it's called Into the Night, yes, Into the Night. So excellent series so far.
1: Yes, And, and and so you know biblically we just don't know when Jesus was born. We get hints, as Pastor Skip points out in his series, found in Scripture, which would seem to indicate that that it was a little bit maybe warmer time of year. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have some auxiliary non-biblical evidence of saying when the Christmas star may have been, which the only outside reference we have for that of an astronomical event was recorded by the Chinese astronomers, I think around 5 BC. So if we were looking for the star as an indicator of some astronomical event that caused wise men, again, we don't know how many ultimately, (laughs) but the wise men to come from the East, the only non-biblical evidence we have, again, is that that um, astronomical event recorded by the Chinese astronomers around 5 BC. Whether it was a comet or the alignment of planets or whatever, something caught the attention of wise men and they came to to see the christ child so if we don't know when jesus was born why do we celebrate christmas on december 25th well there's a, a positive and a negative reason why the positive is because we had to pick some day to celebrate the birthday of jesus and because scripture is silent on the exact day we chose december 25th but i think we chose it for for unique reasons. Around that time, a Roman festival called Saturnalia was a very prominent Roman religious holiday. And it was just, it was celebrated every December around the time of the winter solstice. And the winter solstice is usually follows, falls on December 21st or, or 22nd.
0: Now, is it, is it the summer solstice and the winter equinox? Or is it also a winter solstice? Or does it matter?
1: Well, it, it it probably doesn't matter for our conversation here, but there there is some there is some slight differences and variations there. But Saturnalia, as the the term points out, was a time to celebrate, quote unquote, the god Saturn. So the the Romans um, took a week off, usually history tells us, and they would celebrate. They would decorate their homes. They had lights. There was festivities. And even there was some gift exchanges.
0: And just to chime in on this, for those who may not know, solstice and equinox, they're the times of year where the sun's time in the sky, due to the way that the earth and the sun are in relationship with each other, lengthens or shortens. So you have one that's either the shortest day of the year, and after that, the day continues to lengthen, or you have one that's the longest day of the year, and after that, the days continue to shorten. And this is something that was noticed. A lot of people think that people who lived back then didn't know much about the sky, but you have to remember a lot of these people, as Brian's already pointed out, they were worshiping deities that they associated with planets that they'd observed. So they're certainly aware of and very attuned to the lunar cycle, the solar cycle, and assigned various things to it.
1: Yeah, unquestionably. And so these Romans celebrated Saturnalia. And obviously, Christianity, as it continued to grow within the Roman Empire and became the dominant, you know, non-Roman religion, meaning not of the, the Roman traditional religion, it came to the notice of various emperors. Some emperors tried to squash it through persecution mm. and killing of Christians, but ultimately, Constantine said, listen, there's so many Christians now in in our empire, this faith has spread so rapidly, we've got to make it non-punishable. So Constantine did not make Christianity the official Roman religion. What he did is he legalized it, and and he had good reason to. His mother was a Christian, so he didn't (laughs) want to kill mom because he apparently loved his mom. So from the early 300s on, you had this Roman tradition surrounding a religious holiday that later on was adopted and adapted to Christian practices. And again, I'll point people to Pastor Skip's message um, on, in his current series where he, he he gives you a little bit of more information. But that is really the backdrop of where Christmas came from. A, we don't know when Jesus was born, the day, because Scripture's silent. B, we think it was birthed out of practices that the Roman culture was already participating. And then, of course, it just grew. I mean, once Christianity was officially adopted as the official religion of the Roman Empire after Constantine, Various cultures started to add to the traditions, if you will, of the Christmas season. But um, one of those, of course, was St. Nicholas and and Santa Claus.
0: Absolutely. And just wanted to say a note where, uh, as Christians, you may hear from various groups that are within Christianity, and they talk about not celebrating Christmas because it had pagan origins, this, that, and the other thing. So, to continue your thought just briefly— before we get into St. Nicholas, I wanted to sort of open up, speaking to the listeners, if you hadn't thought about this already, and that is, in the newly Christian world, in a world where Christianity is newly legal, you have a very fragmented community because of the persecutions where everybody sort of went into their own underground. And then, once Christianity is legal, there's not this cultural Christianity that we think about today where Christianity has become so pervasive that generally people know what to expect from Christians they know what a Christian would do in any given situation because mm-hmm. we've had so much time we're talking about millions of people scattered across the Roman empire who are in the process of trying to form what Christian orthopraxy like what they're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to be doing it on a daily basis they didn't all have the whole new testament there was a lot of controversy here So, the utilization of common elements within society was utilized for a long time. A lot of times, when a church would be founded, a basilica would be built, these would sometimes they would use pagan temples and they would repurpose them Mm -hmm. rather than tear them down and start over. It was not an easy task. And so, a lot I'm saying all that to say this the quote pagan unquote roots of some of the Christian holidays are less about. Christians trying to repurpose paganism as Christians who were very recently pagan trying to figure out how they need to do what they're going to do. And so to say that it's a deliberate and a malicious misrepresentation and that paganism was intended to be included in it versus looking at where this person comes from and what they're trying to do, you got to make sure you have the cart after the horse, not before the horse. And realized this was about an entire culture that had not yet been built, that was being built, and they were changing things. Chadwick, Henry Chadwick, wrote a book called The Early Church, excellent historical consideration of those times. He said the church found it extremely difficult to overcome the inertia that was present in pagan culture. Mm -hmm. Because it was not just about, I'm a Christian now. It was like there were no Christian institutions. There were no churches. Mm -hmm. There was nothing. and so this all had to start from scratch
1: i I like to say that that these these pagan practices you know what we call pagan practices or roman or any culture they were baptized by the church so they they were they were deemed on a certain level important cultural practices that when christianity became the dominant faith of these people they they kind of baptized them they said you know we're we're going to make these for good and in Luke, not to spiritualize it, but isn't that a picture of all of us mm-hmm. before coming to Christ? We were involved in certain things that maybe we're not proud of or, or had a lifestyle or or did things that, that were unbecoming. But when we came to Christ and we were quote unquote baptized, we have a whole new perspective, a whole new look right. on our life. And so too in larger cultural institutions. So as as the Roman culture was growing. They were adopting and baptizing, if you will, in the cultural sense, these practices and making them Christian. So are there certain things that we do now that are not quote unquote found in the Bible? Yes. But it was how society and culture dealt with these. So so though Christmas, as we know, was kind of baptized in the 300s, It really wasn't till the eighth and ninth century where it really became a a a big deal and a major festival. So back to one of the big traditions that were brought up later on in Christian history, but it does have a root, a basis in history, and that is the person of Saint Nicholas, or Santa Claus. So Luke, I know you've done some research on that. Why don't you give our listeners some background into who this guy is?
0: Something that might surprise folks is that Santa Claus, or that from which he derives, actually was a real person this is to be separated from all of the mass marketing and all of the potential place stealing that he is accused of. Never really intended to be that. What we do know, he became an orphan when he wasn't very old. He may have been in his middle teens, and he came to live with his uncle. Now, he was born in the Roman Empire, and this was third century. So, that means in the 200s. This is just a couple hundred years after the apostolic age. So, it's very old. Now, ultimately... He would become a bishop in Myra, which is a Roman province in Asia, and he would be there for quite some time. He died in his 70s, according to what we understand of his birth and death date. So he died in the middle of the 4th century, so he sort of bridged between the two. Now, there's a lot of other important church personages that lived during this time, and interestingly, Nicholas actually was at the Council of Nicaea. That was him. So this is, this is somebody that we didn't just make up and put in history somewhere. This is a real guy who's a bishop who's important enough to be summoned to that council. Now, Council of Nicaea, I know a lot of people say, oh, this is about you know Constantine telling everybody what the Bible was supposed to be about. It has nothing to do with that. It was to keep Arianism, which is the doctrine of Christ not actually being God. It was to keep that at bay. So that's where you got the Nicaea creed from. Now, there were other decisions that were made at that time, but the primary purpose of that council was not to establish the particular books in that Constantine went and told the bishops what they were supposed to put in there. That's not really how it went down. That being said, Saint Nicholas, before he was considered to be a saint, is at this council. So, we have markers of where he's at, and the interesting thing about it is this. Not only was he a real person that had significant engagement in history but he also was apparently a very generous person even from his youth and this is where some of the i'll say legends so there is a anecdote that is supported and even has been turned into children's tales and things like that where while he's in his teens he's living with his uncle who was a priest he became aware of a family whose daughters were of a certain age where at least one of them was marriageable age, and they were in great poverty. Now, this is going to sound terrible, but you need to remember the time and place in which these types of things were happening. So it's a little counterintuitive to what we think about today. But we find this same example in Scripture where a person might sell themselves as an indentured servant in order to, to pay off a debt or to be able to earn a higher standard of living at their master's house. So this is what's supposed to be happening, and that's in keeping with the times in that era. Nicholas becomes aware of this, and having been left a large inheritance, he decided to take some of his money and to give it to this family. Now, this was done specifically because the daughters could not marry without a dowry, which is, at that point, it was expected that if there was to be a marriage, that both sides of that engagement would bring to the table some amount of wealth that would allow them to start their lives together. Now, if it was a father with daughters, he was expected to give his daughters a dowry so that she could enrich their immediately future household. So Patrick does this, and apparently she was you know she was sort of doing her thing. Last night she's going to spend in her dad's house, and she had washed her stockings and hung them next to the fireplace to dry, according to the story. And Nicholas sneaks in, and he puts a bundle of gold into those stockings. This is where the tradition of the Christmas stocking Mm -hmm. comes from. It was discovered the next morning, and then it ends up being to where that wasn't enough for all three of the daughters to be secured. And so he eventually gives more, and he's discovered by the father. Mm -hmm. Because the father was trying to figure out, who's helping my daughter so that they don't have to go into these terrible choices? Nicholas is discovered, he says, please don't tell anybody. I like to help people. And this is where the legend begins. This is the true story. This is not sort of a hagiography, which we're going to talk about in a second. After this, you know, there would be bundles of firewood that might be dropped down people's chimneys so that their fireplace would be full because they didn't have the money or the time to go out or the health to go out. And Nicholas began to be known for these types of things. Well, there were copycat that sort of spread from this where people would take this upon themselves. But it was all based on the generosity of Nicholas. And there's multiple stories I'm not going to get into about that today. But... Um, this is where the legend starts. The hagiography, this is the study of saints, right? The writings about saints where people took it upon themselves to go back into these stories and embellish them. Right. And they did this for the purposes of monasteries, of churches, to try to sort of make the saint belong to them or to their particular sect. But it's highly unlikely that anything you read in that is going to be accurate because it was done deliberately without really a lot of interest in what the saint's life may have actually been like. And, you know, it made people think, oh, if I pray to this saint because this person said this saint could do these kinds of miracles, so be it. So part of the spiritualization of Santa Claus and the various abilities that he's said to have had have sprung from the hagiography when they really didn't need to. It was just about a generous person. And then other people came in and made things up.
1: Yeah, and what's interesting is, is when you hear something like that, which was great, Luke, is people will go, well, you're talking about St. Nick, but how did he turn into what we know, Santa Claus? And that, historians think, um, is connected to the Dutch and German communities mm-hmm. that they, for some reason, had called this historical figure of St. Nicholas um, Santa Claus. And then they started to celebrate, you know, some of this embellished stories and, and, and such. But when immigrants came to the new world, AKA America, they brought on the traditions that they had established in the homeland, be it in Holland and or Germany. Santa Claus was part of that, which later became Santa Claus, to us right. and popularized by early American writers, such as Washington Irving, um, you know, had, had talked about uh, this Santa Claus. And so what had happened is in early American history, Santa Claus became an important ingredient, if you will, of yeah. our own uh, cultural um, fabric here in America, largely through the Dutch and German communities. As we pointed out with our Easter um, elements as well, you know, the Germans also brought in, you know, certain things about Easter eggs and such of that nature. But all the cultures that came to America, this melting plot, had elements of, of Santa Claus, which go back to St. Nicholas. So it really took on a life of its own.
0: Yeah, there's a very important point about that, too, is that Nicholas traditionally died on December 6th. Mm-hmm. And the way that saints, you know, and again, I'm using that word loosely, I'm using right. that in the ecclesiastical literature right. sense. But the way that saints are remembered is that on the day of their death, there is a feast day that is dedicated to them. Right. And you can find stuff like this if you go to the New Catholic Encyclopedia. Oh, yeah. It'll show their date, and it'll show their feast. And so there was a feast of St. Nicholas that would happen on December 6th every year for people who were following the liturgical or ecclesiastical right. calendar. You still find it today. Absolutely. Every day
1: on the Roman Catholic calendar and, and the Orthodox calendar, Yes, they have saints for every single day.
0: And that's an important thing, too, because he's actually considered to be a saint of both, and that right. you don't find a whole lot of those, but this is one, and so... Here's these people, as you were saying, Brian, that are coming from another country that are used to celebrating the day of St. Nicholas in December. Here we are celebrating December 25th as Christmas, and it's very easy, of course, to see how that could overlap because, honestly, the true story of St. Nicholas, the hagiography aside, embodies the spirit of Christmas in that it's about giving. And it's right. about giving to others and about caring about them. Right. It's not the gimme, gimme, gimme. Right. It's, it's not the commercialism. Kind of, yeah. it,
1: it, it had its, a different purpose. But you know what's interesting, going back to Santa Claus in a second, what really catapulted him into the American consciousness, even though you know you have these cultures that had brought St. Nicholas over as Santa Claus, it was an 1822 poem mm. called An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas. And we all know how this poem begins. It was the night before Christmas. And that poem put Santa Claus, if you will, in everyone's household, whether you were Dutch or German or English or French or whatever. And he became what we now know as Santa Claus. And as you just alluded to, Luke, the sad part of Christmas, the part that in many places, Santa Claus overshadows Jesus, right, and as you pointed out and alluded to that you know what Christmas has turned into today is diametrically opposed as to what Christmas originally was, you know, the celebration of Jesus' birth, a lowly maiden, Mary mm. and her husband, you know, bringing in this child in in a manger. And, you know, what happened to Jesus? And then later on, Saint Nicholas bringing, you know, gifts and being generous. But of course, leave it to American commercialism to kind of kick Jesus out of the picture and highlight Santa Claus. Um, which is the, the American version of Saint Nicholas. And, and obviously I think that's where a lot of people really are not too stoked over what Christmas has become. Would you agree?
0: I would completely agree. And I would say that as with anything that is important, it's about moderation. Some people in their conscience, they don't want to have anything to do with Santa Claus. And I get that. But, you know, it's a lot easier instead of suppressing the cultural narrative. Mm -hmm. Tell people what it's really about. So our kids are going to appreciate that. They're not going to feel like they have to make a decision to, to be completely isolated from what everyone else is talking about. They can actually bring light to the entire subject and say, listen, this is who he really was. This is where he fits in the Christmas narrative. He's not the one that we're celebrating, but he can help us celebrate what Christmas is really about. Being able to do that redirect and do exactly what Brian and I are talking about, which is why we wanted to have this podcast where we examine this stuff, is that you don't have to be afraid of falsehood. You have to confront it gently with the truth. And you'll Mm -hmm. find that many things that have been embellished, they have a root behind them that's just as important as the things that we think are important in the holiday season. And this, this can definitely help turn things around and and again I feel like it's a both and. Yeah. You know, you don't have to say well we got to completely get rid of Santa. I know, just put him in his proper place. Right.
1: Right. And 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 contextualize him within the historical you know narrative that he was a real person, Saint Nicholas. That's I love that. that Luke and I think it's just the great way to end the broadcast. And I know it's kind of a cliche, but it's so true. Jesus is the reason for the season. Absolutely. And I think if we as Christians remind ourselves, remind our loved ones, remind people in a in a loving way that for Christians all that commercialism, all of that, okay, we we know what it is. It's 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 for stores to stay in business and so on and so forth. We get that. But we have to remind ourselves Jesus is the reason for the season.
0: And what a great way to close indeed, Brian. I think that You know, it's nice to be able to close an entire season of podcasts Mm -hmm. on a note like this, where for Christians, Jesus is the center of everything. Mm -hmm. And at this time of year, it's one of the best times to talk to people about him who wouldn't listen otherwise. Mm -hmm. And now you've got some, hopefully, from the information we've shared here, a bridge to tell people not about just St. Nicholas, but about Jesus. We want to say goodbye for now, because we're coming back in the spring. And we'll start up our podcast when the school semester starts. So make sure to come back and visit us for season two. It's going to be full of questions. It's going to be full of different formats that we experiment with. But really, your questions are still extremely important. So if you have any that you'd like us to tackle, by all means, send them to us at calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. Again, that's calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. And once again, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas.